All right, I'm going to pray, and then we can jump into it. Uh, Father God, thank you again uh, for a chance to be together with your people. Um, pray that you bless this time, God. Um, God, would you prepare our hearts to receive your word? Uh, Holy Spirit, would you speak only what you want spoken, God? Would you reveal truth to us, Father? Uh, would your word just implant in our hearts, God, and grow and bear a harvest of faith, a harvest of righteousness in us? God, as you shape us to be the people you want us to be, God, that our lives would honor you, that our lives would glorify you, God. Um, let your word go forth uh, and do what it pleases, God. Have your way in us uh, in our time here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want you guys to think about a time that someone showed you a better way to do something, right? That feeling of realizing, wow, I've been doing this the hard way for so long, and this is much better. Like, I know this is the, uh, the Google Maps generation and the Ask Siri for directions generation, but I remember, like, driving and, and taking the same route for, like, three years, and then someone being like, you know, it's a shortcut right there if you cut down this road and you can shave, like... You know, however many minutes off your drive, I was like, no, I didn't know that. Thanks for showing me. That's so much better. Uh, or maybe someone shows you, you know, you're on your way, you take this one route to class, and someone shows you, you know, if you cut through this building here, that's a little bit quicker. And oh, sure enough, I didn't even know those buildings connected. And uh, man, it's nice, right? It feels good when someone shows you a better way to do something. Um, what's that? You don't know how that feels? Um, Man, man, it's good when, when you find a better way. I know, uh, man, if I'm using using the computer, right, and I'm doing something on, like, Word or Excel, and I don't know what I'm doing, right, and someone shows, hey, this is a little shortcut here. Like, what you're doing, you could do it much easier, much better. Uh, I was like, wow, really nice, right? Home improvement stuff. I'm trying to fix something in the house. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going to make it worse. Uh, and so I saw all, all YouTube, all, all wiki how, I'll look for instructions. And okay, yeah, this is the better way to do this than what I was planning to do. This, uh, this is going to be a better, cheaper, simpler way uh, than, than what I was planning. But, but it's good, like learning a, a better way to do something. And, and you guys probably have had that moment uh, where you're doing something complicated or difficult and think to yourself, there's got to be a better way. Right? There's got to be a better way than what I'm doing right now. I know a lot of you guys probably don't have to fill out your own taxes. Um, but, man, when you're, when you're going through all those forms and filling out line after line after line, often you have the thought, there has got to be a better way to do this. There's got to be a better way. Um, after California having some baked goods, uh, Jackie baked some banana bread, made some Rice Krispie treats. And this afternoon, and she's, and she's cutting up those Rice Krispie treats, she's, she's saying, there's got to be a better way to cut up Rice Krispie treats than whatever I'm doing because this is just... Uh, it, it was difficult, right? Um, she figured it out eventually. Nah. Yeah. Um, anyway, anyway, so just uh, that's, that's what I kind of want you guys to think about. Uh, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way. What that feeling's like, man, when someone shows you a better way. Um, you know, this semester we have been looking at important spiritual principles in the Old Testament uh, book of Jeremiah. And if you guys have your Bibles, we're going to be in Jeremiah tonight, uh, starting in chapter 23. Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah was a prophet uh, to God's people uh, there in ancient Israel. Uh, Jeremiah, uh, God gave a message to Jeremiah to call these people out of their rebellion, out of their sin, out of their idolatry, and return back to God. Um, and, and he repeats this message to him again and again, man, turn away from your sins, turn away from your idols, um, or else there's going to be great consequences. There's going to be judgment and destruction that's going to come upon you. Um, and, and so, you know, as, as we've gone through um, in the series this semester, we've looked at God calling Jeremiah. We've looked at uh, God revealing himself to us, this image 
of the fountain of living water that we can come and drink from uh, and be satisfied, that God wants to satisfy the deepest desires of your heart where you're not walking around life on empty, right? We talked about uh, false prophets. I mean, Jeremiah had to deal with a lot of false prophets that were saying literally the opposite of what he was saying. We talked about, I mean, how do we deal with false prophets and weird teaching and cults, um, and especially the stuff we'll run into on campus? Uh, how do we deal with that? How do we process that? Uh, beginning part of this semester, we talked about influence. Um, how God wants to use you as a person of influence to influence those around you. Uh, God wants to use you uh, to, to reach the people around you. And we talked about ways to do that. And if you miss those messages, man, it's okay. All that's available online. You can listen to it uh, on the website or on the podcast and uh, get caught up. At, but, man, you're going to be able to track right with us tonight. It's all good. Uh, tonight, uh, man, we're going to be picking up in Jeremiah uh, 23. Um, and, and God's got a, a special message that, that he wants to give the people through Jeremiah. Um, uh, and it's a time where the, the, the people are, are really frustrated. Like I said, uh, you know, Jer- Jeremiah was dealing with I mean, people that were sinful, people that were rebellious against God, uh, people that were serving idols. Uh, and to make matters worse, man, they're, they're leaders. Uh, the, the kings, the leaders, the, the priests uh, were, were making it all the worse. Man, they, they were leading the people further into sin, further away from God. Um, how many of you guys ever had experience where you're disappointed with leadership, right? Oh, um, right? They just said, man, I can't, man Matt, I can't believe Matt uh, said he was going to do this and he did the other thing, right? Uh, dis- if you've ever been disappointed with an authority figure, you don't have to raise your hand. Disappointed with the leader, right? Then, then you can kind of feel where we're, where we're going with this. Um, you know, we, uh, man, we don't talk about politics in Kalfa, but, but, man, often, man, we get frustrated with, with political leaders. It's like, man, what are you guys doing, right? Man, so I, know, I know you guys are like, man, that, you know, Lyndon B. Johnson, what are you doing, right? What are, what are you doing up there? Uh, and, and, and we get frustrated with, with leadership. We maybe get frustrated with our parents, get frustrated with teachers, professors. Um, man, man, we know what it feels like to, to, to have a leader uh, that, that we're disappointed with and frustrated with. Um, well, the Israelites, man, that Jeremiah was prophesying to had some pretty lousy leaders as well. They had kings, man, that just led them deeper and deeper into sin, um, they had priests that set up idols to other gods in the middle of the Lord's temple. Uh, imagine that. Imagine you go into church, right? And the pastor and the deacons have set up like idols to other false gods all around the sanctuary, right? Um, but that's what these people were doing. That's what the priests were doing. Uh, leading other people into worshiping false gods and idols. Um, you know, and, and so, so you have these leaders here that should be uh, encouraging people towards God. And they're leading people farther into sin. You know, it had been God's plan that he would be their leader, right? God called the people of Israel uh, out of slavery, out of bondage in Egypt. He called them to be his own people. He said, said, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. I'm going to be your leader, right? And he would lead the people by speaking to them through the prophets, by anointing and appointing judges uh, to to serve in different seasons, to provide leadership or sometimes to execute justice. Uh, And and through these prophets uh, and judges, God would lead and guide his people. There came a day that people said, we don't really want that system, right? We want a king just like everybody else has, right? These neighboring countries, they've got kings, like human kings that we can see and and talk to. That's what we want. Uh, And and they're talking to God's prophet Samuel. And they said, Samuel, uh, we we don't want this system anymore. We want a human king. We want a human leader. Um, And God said, okay, but you're not going to like it, right? Okay, I'll give you a human king, but it's going to be bad. You're going to regret it. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of baggage that comes with having a king, and there's going to be a lot of stuff you don't like. Uh, you know, but, but, but one of the biggest ones 
uh, as we look at the history of Israel's kings, they seem to get more and more wicked. And there's a couple good ones sprinkled in there. Um, But by and large, man, these are wicked men that are leading the people away from God, uh, leading the people farther into sin and farther into idolatry. Um, You know, these kings led Israel further away from God. The monarchy became corrupt. And the priesthood became corrupt. You've got priests, like I said, that are setting up idols uh, and and instructing people in idol worship and and, and leading people away from God. They're not serving the Lord like they should. Uh, And the people are frustrated, right? Uh, And God's frustrated too. God's frustrated too. God's angry. The Lord's angry that those he entrusted uh, to govern and care for his people uh, would lead them away from God and further into sin. So in the text that we're looking at tonight, um, and the Lord speaking through Jeremiah to condemn these corrupt leaders, uh, as well as give a hope that one day he's going to raise up a better king and a better priest for his people. Right? That's what we're looking at tonight. So we're going to pick up in Jeremiah chapter 23, starting in verse 1. Jeremiah 23, starting in verse 1. God says this, What sorrow awaits the leaders of my people, the shepherds of my sheep, for they have destroyed and scattered the very ones they were expected to care for, says the Lord. He says, woe upon, sorrow upon, uh, man, the leaders of my people. These are the people that, that are supposed to be shepherds for my sheep. They're supposed to watch over my people, protect my people, and teach my people how to live in a way that pleases me, uh, teach my people to follow my word. But man, instead, they've done the opposite, right? Um, instead, they've led the, the, these people far away from me. They've led them into destruction. Verse 2, therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to these shepherds. Instead of caring for my flock and leading them into safety, You've deserted them and driven them to destruction. Now I'll pour out judgment on you for the evil that you have done to them. But I will gather together the remnant of my flock from the countries where I have driven them. I will bring bring them back to their sheepfold, and they will be fruitful and increase in number. Then I will appoint responsible shepherds who will care for them, and they'll never be afraid again. Not a single one will be lost or missing. I, the Lord have spoken. He says, you guys are, man, terrible shepherds. Uh, You've done literally the opposite of what you're supposed to do, right? You're supposed to care for my people, lead my people, um, uh, and instead you've done evil. Uh, You've deserted your duties. Um, You've not been performing as you should. He says, there's going to be judgment for that. Uh, But he says, man, I I still love my people, and I'm still going to gather together my people, um, and I'm going to provide for them better shepherds. I've got a better way, a better plan uh, for them. And then picking up in verse 5, man, we see this hope uh, that, that, that God's giving uh, of, of this better way, this better leader that, he, that, that Jeremiah is going to prophesy about. He says, For this time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. And this will be his name, the Lord, our righteousness. And that day Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. He says, you guys have had corrupt leaders and corrupt kings. Man, there's corruption in the monarchy. There's corruption in the priesthood. Uh, Man, it's bad and there's going to be judgment for that. These people aren't just going to get away with it, right? And and it's important for us to remember too, man, when we see evil flourishing in the world, uh, especially like evil evil leaders and evil powerful men and powerful women, that they're not going to get away with it forever, right? There's going to be judgment. They're going to be held accountable for that. Um, but God says, I'm going to send one who's going to be a better king, a better priest, 
Um, he says, the day is coming when I'm going to raise up uh, a righteous king, a righteous priest. He says he's going to be a descendant from David's line. Right? And, and this, is, this is one of man, several throughout the Old Testament's prophecies that we see that God's going to send a Messiah. God's going to send a Savior, uh, a Savior who's going to be priest uh, and king and rescue his people, save his people, make them right with God. Right? All throughout the Old Testament we see these prophecies man, that would be fulfilled by Jesus. Uh, and, and, and this is one of them. Um, it says, I'm going to raise up a righteous descendant. Your translation might say a righteous branch. Right, that, that's going to be from King David's line. Right, it's going to be descendant of King David. When uh, Matthew and Luke record their gospels, as you're reading their gospels in the New Testament, they're careful to trace the lineage of Jesus all the way back through all the descendants back to David, so that you know that David is, uh, man, this, this or Jesus is this descendant from King David's line. It says he's going to be a king who rules with wisdom. He'll do what is right and just throughout the land, and this will be his name. The Lord, our righteousness. And his name's going to be the Lord. So here's the thing. This descendant is not just going to be another human being, right? It's not just going to be a regular man. The descendant's going to also be the Lord himself. Well, how in the world does that work, right? Then they're probably thinking, man, how could he be... How can he be King David's descendant, but also the Lord, right? And we understand, man, with Jesus, uh, Jesus uh, had human parents, but it was conceived by the Holy Spirit of God. Fully human, but also fully God, right? That this Messiah, this King that that God would raise up was also going to be the Lord. It says, the Lord, our righteousness. The Lord, our righteousness. It was this Savior King... This descendant of David was going to be the one that was going to be our righteousness, the one that's going to make us right with God once again. And it says, In that day Judah will be saved, and Israel, Israel will live in safety. So along with this better leader, this Savior King, who would be the Lord Himself and our righteousness, and God also needed to provide a better way for people to deal with their sins and enter into a relationship with God. Right? He prophesied that I'm going to send you a better leader, right? And this leader is going to be your savior. This leader is going to be the Messiah. Um, and, and this prophecy comes almost 600 years before Jesus is born, right? Like I said, there's prophecies all throughout uh, the Old Testament that God's going to send a, send a savior. The, the, the Jewish people were waiting uh, for that Messiah that would come and rescue him. When Jesus steps on the scene, he didn't look like what they were expecting, right? Uh, but, but these prophecies have been coming a long time, hundreds of years uh, before Jesus was born. Uh, man, man, this one probably about 580 years uh, before Jesus was born. This promise that says, where, where God's saying, man, man, there's hope. I've not forgotten you guys. I'm going to send a Savior. Uh, everything seems really bad now. I'm going to make it right. I'm going to make it right. I've got a plan. So along with sending us a better leader, man, we also needed a better way uh, to deal with our sin. A better way to be made right with God. Um, A better way to enter into a relationship with God. Uh, The Lord had previously made a covenant with His people through Moses after He led them out of slavery in Egypt. What is a covenant, right? That's not a word you guys use on the regular. Uh, Talking about, hey, I'm going to go make a covenant uh, with Hope later. I'm going to go over here and man, we're going to get we're going to get covenant. Uh, going on, and, and we don't, that's not a word we use a lot. I mean, maybe, I'm trying to think like inst- things where we still use the word covenant today. Marriage, talking about the covenant of marriage, but, but not a lot of other times that that's going to be a popular word to use. We talked about this a little bit in D class um, Monday night, the word covenant, what it means, and we're not going to do like a big deep study into the word uh, covenant, but, but covenant, man, in our understanding, we're studying um, ancient history and ancient cultures. Uh, a covenant is a very, very serious contract, a very, very serious promise between two parties, 
very serious, like life and death serious. Uh, it's not just, hey, I promise, I, you know, we'll, we'll go out to eat later. I promise I'll be there. I'll be there at 7, and then I just, I just blow you off, right? This is like a life and death commitment. Like, I'm covenanting with you on, on, on this issue. That means you can take it to the bank. I'm, I'm going to be there. It's guaranteed. Uh, life and death to the point um, where, where, where a common use of covenant in the ancient world was, was when you have two kingdoms at war, and one kingdom conquers the other kingdom, right? And the conquering king... Uh, would make the conquered king uh, enter into a covenant with him. A lot of times this, these covenants involve um, in sacrificing animals, uh, cutting animals in half, and then the conquered king would have to walk through the pieces right, uh, of these animals, basically symbolically saying, if I break this covenant, if I break this promise to serve you, to submit to you, may what happened to this animal happen to me, right? Life and death serious, a serious promise, um, and, and a covenant is, is, is an absolute uh, serious commitment, right? And God chose to make a covenant, this kind of promise, with the people of Israel, saying, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to promise uh, to, to, to be your God and to bless you. Now, the covenant um, and had certain conditions that came along with it. So God uh, called the people out of bondage in Israel. They were, or, sorry, out of bondage in Egypt. Uh, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. God called uh, these people out. And then through Moses, he gave this covenant. And the terms of the covenant were the law. It says, if you obey and these laws, if you obey these commandments, then I'm going to bless you. Life is going to be good. If you obey all these commandments, you guys can read about it. Uh, you, know, you know, there, Exodus through Deuteronomy. If you obey these commands, you obey this law, and you're going to be blessed like crazy, right? If you disobey these commands, right? If you don't keep uh, this law, then there's going to be consequences uh, and judgment for that. But, but if you obey this law, and I covenant with you, I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people forever, and I'm going to bless you. Uh, that was the covenant. That was the old covenant. Um, the, the, the God had made a promise to be with these people, uh, to bless them, to protect them. And the terms of the covenant were be obeying this law. Observe these laws and I'll bless you. I'll be your God and you'll be my people. The problem was the people did not obey, right? They did not keep the laws. They did not follow the laws. They couldn't. They couldn't. And human beings are sinful and selfish and prideful and rebellious. And the law itself was perfect and holy, right? The law is holy. These laws are good. If you, if you look at the law that God gave to the people there in the Old Testament, man, these are good things. Like if we, if we live this way, man, our lives are going to be better. Our lives are going to be richer. Um, but because of our, our sinfulness, man, no one could keep the law, right? We just broke the law again and again and again. The law was good. The law was holy. Uh, but because people couldn't keep it, and instead of, instead of being a way for them to be made right with God, it just revealed their sinfulness. It just re- revealed their inability to save themselves. They needed, they needed another way, right? God made provision in the law for ways for their sins to be forgiven. You know, that, that, that animals could be sacrificed and that, that shed blood and their, their sin guilt could be, could be applied to that sacrifice and they could have their sins forgiven. And they, they would re- repeat this ritual as a way to deal uh, with their sins. But man, it's not a long-term solution, right? Uh, the, the, there needs to be a way for us to, to, to be able to deal with our sins, to be able to me, me, be made right with God apart from uh, obeying these laws because, man, the people just couldn't do it. They just drifted farther from God, deeper into their sin, deeper into uh, rebellion. They needed a better way, right? So we're going to, st- still in Jeremiah, but we're going to skip ahead a couple chapters to chapter 31. God speaks again through Jeremiah in chapter 31. 
that he's going to make a better way, right? That he's got a better plan. That this covenant uh, that, that, that they've entered into is because of God's great love for them. God wants to love them. He wants to bless them. But he sees their weakness. He knows they can't follow the law. And he says, hey, there's hope um, that, that, that this covenant, uh, that, that this early covenant is not the be-all, end-all. That there's a better covenant. There's a better covenant that I'm going to make with my people. Um, and, and it's going to be better. And Jeremiah is going to talk about it here in Jeremiah 31. We're going to pick up in verse... 31. So Jeremiah 31, 31. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I'll make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I'll put my instructions deep within them, and I'll write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. He says, I'm going to make a new covenant, right? I I made a covenant with the people, but but they're not keeping it, right? Having the laws in front of them, it's just revealing their sinfulness. Uh, They're they're not actually able to follow these laws, so I'm going to make a new covenant where instead I write the instructions on their hearts. I place the instructions instructions deep within them, uh, and then again, I'm going to be their God, and they're going to be my people. Uh, Dropping down a few verses, he says, I'm going to forgive their wickedness, and I'll never remember their sins. Uh, God wants us to be righteous, right? God wants us to be holy. Uh, Man, God, God wants us to be free from sin so that we can have close relationship with Him. And God's perfect, and God's holy, right? So if He's going to have a relationship with us, um, man, we can't be sinful and, and, and wicked. Man, we need to be holy as well. Um, God wants us to be righteous. He wants us to be close to Him. He wants us to be holy like He's holy. Uh, he wants man, His desires to be our desires, His heart uh, to be our heart. But under that old covenant, man, the law can never make us holy because we couldn't follow the law. Like we would try to follow the law, but we could just broke it again and again and again. Um, the old covenant under the old law can never make us holy. It only showed how sinful we are, how far from God we really are. So we needed a new covenant, and God knew that. A new covenant that would not depend on our ability to keep the law to make us right with God. And so that's exactly what God does uh, by sending Jesus, uh, by sending His Son, Jesus. Jesus is that righteous descendant of David, and that Savior King who's also the Lord. Right Through Jesus, man, through this, this better leader, this better priest, um, God would issue in this new and better covenant. Uh, where in, instead of us being made right with God by following rules, uh, instead it's something God does inside of us through Jesus. So Jesus steps into human history. Like I said, uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, fully human, but also fully God. Um, and and he, he, he says, I'm going to live on this earth. I'm going to model for you what it means to live uh, a good and holy life. Jesus never sinned, not one time, right? He, he obeyed the law. He was the one person who ever did, right? Obey, obeyed the law. Man, he was holy. He never sinned. Man, 33 or so years on this earth, never sinned one time, right? Uh, never, never lied, never was prideful, never was selfish. Can you imagine? Like, because that sounds so foreign to me. Um, but man, Jesus was perfect. He never sinned. He proclaimed the kingdom of God. He said, man, this is how God wants you to live uh, he worked miracles, um, and he healed the sick, he fed the hungry, 
and, and he said, you know, for, for, for those of you uh, that, that, that are thirsty and hungry, I mean, come to me, right? If you're tired and weary, come to me and I'm going to give rest to your souls. Uh, says, whoever's going to be made right with God needs to come through me. No one uh, comes to the Father except through me. He said, I'm the way that, that's going to make you right with God, right? I, I, I'm the one that's going to make you righteous and restore that relationship with God. Um, and, and, and he also did a lot of things that, that only the Son of God could do. Like I said, worked miraculous miracles. And the religious people of the time, like the religious people in Jeremiah's time, were corrupt. And they, they, they were selfish. They, they, they didn't see things God's way. And when they saw this guy walking around, drawing huge crowds of thousands of people, working miracles, proclaiming the kingdom of God, they saw a threat. And these people are going to start serving and following this guy and not listen to us anymore. We need to get rid of this guy. And they had Jesus arrested. Uh, and they had Jesus beat and whipped and then publicly executed, hung naked on a cross. Um, and Jesus died. That's not the end of the story, though. Uh, three days later, Jesus miraculously rose from the dead. We know this because he appeared to hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses, upwards to 500 people that saw Jesus alive after being publicly executed. Um, you know, Jesus, Jesus appears to them. He gives them evidence that, that he's returned. He's not just a ghost, but like his, his physical body is raised from the dead. Uh, and then he gives them instructions and then ascends to heaven with the promise that one day I'm coming back for you to set all of this right. right? The world's broken. The world's a mess. You guys can see that. You guys can look out the window and see that. He says, I'm going to come back one day and set it all right. But in the meantime... By dying on the cross and raising from the dead, I've issued a new covenant. This new, this new covenant that Jeremiah prophesied about, that's not going to be just rules you obey, but something that God does inside of you, that gets ushered in at, at the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When Jesus dies on that cross, man, it's horrific and it's ugly, but God did in that moment the greatest beautiful miracle uh, that's ever been done in human history. He took all of, of our sin, right? All the punishment, all the guilt, all the shame uh, of, of our sin and laid that upon Jesus instead, right? So instead of being punished for our sins, instead of being separated from God by our sins, that punishment was laid on Jesus so we could be forgiven. We could receive mercy from God, grace from God. We could be made right with God. That's how this righteous descendant is the Lord, our righteousness. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we're made righteous, right? I, I couldn't follow all the rules and be holy just by, by doing everything perfect. So Jesus did for me what I couldn't do for myself, right? He lived the life that I couldn't live, and then he died the death that I deserved to die, right? He took my punishment. He took, it should have been me on that cross, right? I'm the one that sinned. But Jesus took my punishment on himself, right? He, he died in my place. And because of that, when I put my trust in him and said, Jesus, I'm putting my trust in you to save me. I'm putting my trust on you and what you did on the cross to make me right with God, not my own ability to follow rules or do the right thing. And that when we do that, when we put our trust in Jesus, ask him to be our savior, ask him to be the Lord, our righteousness, right? Then, man, God forgives us and he does a miracle inside of us. Uh, we're born again spiritually in that moment, right? He writes these instructions on our hearts. We enter into this new covenant that's not about us following rules, but it's about us being made right with God because of what Jesus did and only because of what Jesus did. It's still important, right, to, to follow the rules, to obey God's commandments. It's important not to steal or kill people or commit adultery, right? We still want to follow those rules, but we're not made right with God because of the rules. Does that make sense? And if we, if we stumble and fall and we mess up and we sin, and we're all gonna. 
then there's forgiveness and grace. We can come to God and say we're sorry and, and, and forgiven and made clean. Um, and that, that's the new and better covenant we have in Jesus, right? Jesus, again, didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. He conquered death forever. So we know when he promises eternal life to everyone that trusts in him, everyone that follows him, man, we know it's true because he conquered death himself. This life on earth isn't all there is, right? When this life is over, man, we get to be forever in heaven with God. When we put our trust in Jesus, when we put our trust in Jesus and ask him to save us, that's the new and better covenant. That's the better deal, right? We talked about men being showed a better way to do something. That's the better way to do life. Not by trying to keep every rule uh, with, with all the stress and anxiety of knowing we're going to blow it and mess it up. But the better way to live is, is instead to trust in Jesus and, and, and trust in this new covenant, this better promise he's made to us that by faith in him, we're made right with God. By trusting in him, uh, we're made holy and right with God. So not only did Jesus give us this example to follow of a life pleasing to God, he also administered this new covenant a better way for us to be made right with God and have our sins forgiven. The writer of Hebrews uh, in the New Testament, man, he, he writes about this. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 7. Um, I want to look at a little bit of scripture in Hebrews 7 and 8 uh, to, to round out our time here tonight. Hebrews chapter 7, we're going to be picking up in verse 19. Hebrews chapter 7, starting in verse 19. The writer of Hebrews says, For the law never made anything perfect. But now we have confidence in a better hope through which we draw near to God. This new system was established with a solemn oath. Aaron's descendants became priests with such an oath. But there was an oath regarding Jesus. For God said to him, The Lord has taken an oath and will not break it. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath... Uh, Jesus is the one who guarantees this better covenant with God. So Aaron, he's talking about Aaron. Aaron was the high priest. Uh, his descendants were also uh, priests. They served under God. They helped uh, administer the, the sacrifices to make people right with God. Uh, they, they would lead in prayers, all these kind of things. They were the spiritual leaders of the time. Um, but like I said, man, they're, they're also just human beings, and they're flawed. Uh, and he says that, that, that Jesus is going to be this better priest. Um, and because of, because of this, this oath that God says, you're going to be my priest forever, Jesus is the one who can guarantee this new covenant with God. Let's continue in verse 23. There are many priests under the old system, for death prevented them from remaining in office. That seems like kind of like a death statement, right? Um, no, nobody can be like priest forever. Nobody can be president forever. Eventually you're going to die. Supreme Court justices are appointed for life, but they don't get to be Supreme Court justice forever because they're going to die, right? Um, so death prevented them from remaining in office. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able, and only he is able... Once and forever to save those who come to God through him. Let me read that again. He is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. Right? It's Jesus, man, who gives us this better covenant. It's Jesus who can save those who come to God through him. Say, hey, I want to be made right with God. And if we put our trust in Jesus, he is able to do that. He's able to make us right with God. And because of uh, man, his, his sinless life, because of his sacrifice on the cross, he's able man, to save you and make you right with God. He's able. It's not about your ability. It's not about 
man, if you're a good person or a bad person, or sometimes we think, I, I don't know, Matt, Matt, I'm pretty bad. Like, you don't know how wicked I am. You don't know how messed up I am. You don't know the stuff I've done. Well, it's not about you and what you've done. It's about Jesus, and he's able. Right? He's able to save you. He's able to save you if you come to God through him. Uh, it doesn't matter what you've done or what you've been through uh, or, or who you are. Man, Jesus can save you. He can cleanse you. He can make you a new creation. Man, you're born again by the Spirit of God. You're a brand new person with a fresh start. Jesus can do that, right, when we come to God through him. Verse 26, he's the kind of high priest we need because he's holy and blameless and unstained by sin. He's been set apart from sinners and has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. Unlike those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. Um, man, if you wonder, man, why don't we still sacrifice animals? Maybe you're reading through the Old Testament and be like, why don't we still sacrifice bulls, you know, and, and rams and, and doves and stuff? It's because Jesus, man, on the cross was the once and for all sacrifice. Once and for all. We don't have to do that anymore, right? What Jesus did was enough to cover every sin that's ever going to be sinned forever, right? Jesus was enough, uh, and we don't have to do that anymore. Um, it says, they did this for their own sins first, and then for the sins of the other people. But Jesus did this once for all, when he offered himself as the sacrifice for the people's sins. And Jesus' sacrifice, once for all. Verse 28, the law appointed high priests who were limited by human weakness, but after the law was given, God appointed his son with an oath, and his son has been made the perfect high priest forever. And then dropping down to Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6, and, and, and we'll close with this. It says, But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one that mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. If the first covenant had been faultless, there'd be no need for a second covenant to replace it, right? But, then, but Jeremiah, I mean, God spoke to Jeremiah and says, I'm going to send a better covenant, right? I'm going to send a better way. And, and again, it's, it's not like the, 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 the law was flawed. The law was perfect. We're the ones that were flawed, right? That was the problem with the old covenant is that it had to deal with our ability to keep the law. Uh, and said, man, I'm going to send you a better covenant that's not dependent on you, right? And I'm going to do for you what you can't do for yourself. If the first covenant had been flawless, there'd be no need for a second. But when God found fault with the people, he said this. And then starting in verse 8, he quotes that prophecy there in Jeremiah 31, pretty much verbatim, word for word. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant, right? It says, remember Jeremiah, he prophesied about the new covenant. And that's what Jesus has offered us, right? That old covenant, in a lot of ways, was like, you guys, fans of literature, familiar with the concept of foreshadowing, right? That old covenant foreshadowed the new covenant. Um, and, and some theologians talk about it being a shadow, you know, of, of, of things to come, right? The, the foreshadowing of, of animals being sacrificed, that shed blood is a foreshadowing of the once and for all sacrifice Jesus would make on the cross, right? The foreshadowing of a priesthood, I mean, people that would stand between men and God and help, help facilitate them being made right with God. Again, these are also just human beings that are flawed and going to die someday. What he's saying here is this is just foreshadowing of the perfect priest, the high priest that would be Jesus that can make us right with God forever, right? Um, the, the things we read in the Old Testament, man, so many of them are, are, are symbolism and foreshadowing for what's going to be fulfilled in Jesus, right? All, all these things are fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Um, you know, so ha have we trusted in Jesus in this new covenant 
Or are we still relying on our own ability to live right, to follow the rules? Are we hoping that we're going to just be good enough for God to accept us? Or do we instead rely on Jesus to save us and make us right with Him? Right? And that's what it comes down to. That's something every single one of us needs to examine and ask ourselves. Uh, am I just trying to be good enough, hoping that, that God will accept me because I'm good? And nobody gets to heaven that way. Nobody gets to heaven by being good enough. Jesus said the only way to God is through me. Right? The only way is putting your trust in Jesus, allowing Jesus to be your, your, your Savior, your King, your Lord, and that high priest that makes you right with God because of what he did on the cross. Um, and so we want to pray. We want to make sure that we're trusting in him with all our hearts, trusting in Jesus with all we've got. If we're at the casino table, right, that we're all in on Jesus, right? We're not like wagering a little bit on Jesus. We've got some on black, some on red, some over here. No, we're all in on Jesus and not trusting ourselves at all, right? I can't, I can't follow the rules. I can't trust myself to be made right with God. I'm all in on Jesus. Man, he's my only hope. I'm betting everything on him to make me right with Jesus, make me right with God. Wrapping up, if you're frustrated with leadership, you're not alone. Every human leader will eventually let you down. But in Jesus, we have a better leader, a better priest, a better prophet, a better king, and he's given us a better way, a better way, if we'll take it, if we'll take it, right? Um, I mean, some of you guys in here tonight said, man, I've done that. I've put my trust in Jesus. I'm asking him to be my savior. Man, that's great. And there may be some here tonight that have never done that and say, man, I need to pray that and I want to do it tonight. I want to put my trust in Jesus and not trust my own ability. I want to ask man, God to save me man, because of what Jesus did on the cross. Or you say, Matt, man, I, I prayed that prayer, but, but I know that if I'm being honest, I'm not all in on Jesus. I, I, I am kind of trusting myself. Um, I'm not fully relying on him and I want to trust him more. I want to pray for you as well. And you just say, man, I feel like I'm kind of far from God. I'm drifting lately. You know, I'm messing around with stuff I shouldn't be messing with. And uh, and I know I need to come back and make it right with God. Man, I want to pray for you as well, okay? Um, you guys bow your head. Let's just take a minute uh, and come to the Lord. God, I'm thankful for your word. Uh, God, I'm thankful for the new covenant, God. God, I never make it under the old covenant, God. I thank you that you provided a better way, a better way that's not dependent on me, but it's totally dependent on you based on your great love for us, God, that you love us so much. You're not content. You're not okay with us being far away from you, God. But you made a way through Jesus so we could be made right with you that doesn't depend on us, God, but depends completely on Jesus and what he did on the cross. And we need only to trust in you, Jesus, and what you've done uh, to put our faith in you to be made right with God and be saved. Um, and if there's any here tonight that have never done that, that have never put their trust uh, in Jesus that way, just, just pray along with me in your heart with this prayer. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. And I pray that you would be my Savior. Uh, I put my trust completely in you. I put my faith completely in you and what you did on the cross to save me and make me right with God. Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. Give me a clean heart and a fresh start. God, fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to live for you from this day forward. Jesus, be my Savior and my Lord. In your name, amen. And if any of you are feeling far from God, and we have a promise in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And if, if, you're, if you know you've been messing around with something that you shouldn't, and it's separating you from the Lord, man, I just encourage you to confess that to God right now in prayer. Say, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And he does. He does.
And that, that, that verse we read in Hebrews says that Jesus always lives to make intercession for us. Jesus is in heaven right now praying for you, praying for you, interceding for you, pleading with you. He wants to see you through this situation. He wants to see you win. He wants to see you victorious. God, I just pray that the grace of God, God, would, would be full in each of our lives. And that the victory, Jesus, that you won on the cross would be full in our lives. And the freedom, Jesus, that you bought and paid for with your own blood, God, would be full in our lives. We'd experience the fullness of your grace, the fullness of your victory in every area of life, the fullness of your freedom over sin and bondage, God. God, that we wouldn't settle for anything less than all that you have for us, God. Help us to live vibrant, full lives for your glory, God. Lives that please you and honor you, God. Enjoying the fullness of this new covenant that doesn't depend on us, God. But it's all about Jesus. God, we love you. God, we love you. Help us to process, God, our frustration with authority figures uh, and, and leaders and people that let us down and disappoint us, knowing that they're also human and flawed. And I pray that our trust will be 100% in you, Jesus, the only one who's perfect, the only one who's righteous. We'd be all in on you, Jesus. God, I pray that you bless these students and help them, God, over spring break. God, that those that, that, that need lots of rest, God, they'd get lots of rest. Those that are traveling, you keep them safe as they travel. God, those doing missions trips, God, that you'd use us strategically for your glory uh, to make an impact on lives and make a difference for your kingdom. Um, God, pray for in two weeks, God, Kyle, for a week, God, that it wouldn't just be a flurry of activity just to say we did some stuff. But God, we make a difference on this campus, Lord. God, we touch lives. We connect with students that aren't involved anywhere else, God, that we brought into the community, uh, welcome into the family of God, that it'd be opportunities for them to hear about Jesus and make Christian friends, God. Uh, God, use us on this campus, God. Use the ministry of Chi Alpha, God, for your glory on this campus. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Praise the Lord.